Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at Russia amidst a diplomatic and security row with Britain and ahead of presidential elections there this weekend. Joining me on the line from Moscow is our bureau chief there, Catherine Hiller, and here in the studios, East Europe editor Neil Buckley. Catherine, obviously, people here in London are very, very preoccupied by this row over the attempted assassination of Sergei Skripal and his daughter, a former Russian agent here in the UK. But obviously, in Russia, it's just a few days ahead of the presidential election. Presumably, that is the central political event there. Well, you know, we call it an election, but the mood here has not exactly been one of excitement or suspense because we all know who's going to win anyway. So actually this standoff with the UK has added a bit of drama to the scene immediately ahead of the vote. So on state TV, we've seen a lot of very agitated debates and Russian government officials and lawmakers getting really angry about the UK issuing an ultimatum towards Russia. So this has in a way, added to the sense that Vladimir Putin has tried to spread that Russia is still under attack or besieged by hostile Western forces. And this kind of statement out of London helps to underline what he has been talking about. Do you get the sense that most Russians actually believe Russia, the state's denials that they had anything to do with this attack? Well, judging by circumstantial evidence, I think there's many Russians who would doubt this and who would even take a bit of pride in Russia's traditional military strength and what they view as technological strength and maybe even some kind of Soviet-era legacy of strength and domination in weapons of mass destruction. I mean, you get this kind of people here. I'm not able to give a really objective assessment of how large a proportion of the population would believe this. But I think there's a sizable part that doesn't believe the government's denials. But somehow that is still compatible with the sense of outrage that Britain has confronted Russia over this attempted murder. Yes, I mean, that's how propaganda works, right? If you hear a certain line or a certain sentiment often enough and it somehow coincides with certain emotional needs you have and sense of dissatisfaction about something else, then it's always an easy explanation using external factors and external pressure. And Neil, we've just this afternoon, it's Wednesday here in London, heard Theresa May give her response in Parliament, expel over 20 Russian diplomats. Her tone was very firm, but do you think the Russians will regard this as a strong or a weak response by the UK? I think the Russians may well regard it as a somewhat weak response, particularly after the kind of build-up that was given to it, the rhetoric that Theresa May was using on Monday, in which she repeated just before announcing the measures that she was going to take on Wednesday. I think the expulsion of 23 diplomats, which was the kind of the headline figure, that's relatively robust. 
It's about 40% of the accredited diplomats in London, uh, biggest for 30 years. So that also could well degrade Russia's ability to carry out intelligence gathering activities here in the UK quite significantly. But in other areas, I think it was a little weak. There's unspecified actions to increase UK security against further Russian acts of hostility or aggression. We don't know very much about those. We might learn a bit more. But really what was missing compared with our expectations was anything very much on Russian money or the Russian corporate sector. There was talk of a Magnitsky Act, which would affect certain officials accused of being human rights abusers, but very little really otherwise to crack down on Russian money laundering activities in London or the use of London to stash away wealthy officials, uh, senior officials' money over here and their ability to move backwards and forwards between the UK and Russia. Okay, well, I guess trying to give the May government the benefit of the doubt, they might respond that, well, that's the difference between Britain and Russia, that Britain is a law-governed state. The government can't simply decide, well, it's going to ban X or Y or seize their assets. There has to be an investigation. There has to be evidence. So the fact that she didn't say that this is going to happen in explicit terms in Parliament doesn't mean that it might not happen further down the road if investigative authorities are told to look harder. But I think the point is there are existing legal tools that the UK could use, such as unexplained wealth orders, which were created by the Criminal Finances Act last year, which can be used to seize property if it's deemed to have been acquired as a result of gross corruption. There are law-based responses it could make. It could greatly tighten requirements for tracing the provenance of money that's used to buy assets here. And, you know, they could have taken action against state-owned companies, state-owned banks, for example, in a similar way that the EU sanctioned certain companies. There are legal bases for doing that. And so I think that was an area where they could have taken action. We know that there are a couple of very senior figures in the Russian administration who have substantial properties here in London. Now, it may be more difficult to go after those on any legal basis, but I think the overall impression it will give is that the UK is still not really very determined to clamp down on the ability of wealthy Russians, senior Russians to own property here, to have a base here, live here flip backwards and forwards between Moscow and this country. And Catherine, how do you think? I mean, it's obviously just a few hours since the statement in the parliament. Is it your impression that the Russians will perhaps be thinking, OK, maybe this is just going to be a week long storm, a two week storm and things will go back to normal? I think they'll be watching how this continues to develop because this is probably not the end of the story. We've heard statements out of the EU. We have heard comments from NATO allies, from the US. We're still waiting for further steps to be taken by the US Treasury in follow-up to this Kremlin report that was put together under the Katzer sanctions law that was adopted last summer. So there is still some sanctions action supposed to be in the pipeline from the US side and it's very well possible that some of these things just combine over time into some further sanctions action or some changes in the implementation of existing sanctions. Therefore for now I would expect the Russian government to respond with really mirroring measures, so expelling probably the same number or the same percentage of accredited diplomatic staff here from Moscow, and then see 
what happens next. Also, following up on what Neil said in terms of Russian money in London, I think there are some substantial risks for the UK economy or the London economy in this because things could very easily develop in a direction where if the Russian government or the Russian leadership perceives the political climate to become very toxic and very hostile, they could just whip up some kind of propaganda campaign that then would result in Russian high net worth individuals maybe moving some assets out of London, maybe just going there a lot less, and you would have maybe some significant damage actually to key parts of the UK services economy from this. How significant do you think that damage would be though, Neil? I mean, is London really that dependent on Russian money? Presumably it's a hit they can take if they have to. I would have thought that it is a hit that London overall can take and arguably it might be somewhat beneficial to take some of the froth out of the property market that has so much driven up prices over the last decade. Also, I mean, this is a double-edged thing because Vladimir Putin actually has been trying to get wealthy Russians and officials to repatriate their money in part because he wants to reverse the kind of capital flight that Russia has experienced but also to make Russia less vulnerable to this kind of pressure. So if the UK does act to try and force Russia to take money out, then it is double-edged. But arguably, it's something the UK should be doing anyway as a matter of good housekeeping. Clamping down certainly on so-called dirty money in the system is something that ought to be beneficial overall. Mm. Turning now to the broader political context, Catherine, as we were saying, this is just before this election, around which, as you rightly point out, there is not that much suspense. But nonetheless, we're about to enter another term of President Putin. I mean, looking back over the last term, it's been one of incredible turbulence in Russia's relations with the outside world, the war in Ukraine, the sanctions imposed. So um, Russia is indeed rather embattled. What do you think the next five years of Putin will look like? Is it just going to be a continuing deterioration in relations with the outside world? Or do you think Putin's goal is somehow to rebuild Russia's relations with the West, and does he have any hope of doing that? Well, he has paid some lip service to such goals, but I think there's not much credibility to that. If you look at his State of the Nation address that he delivered on the 1st of March, it had two very distinct and completely separate parts, with the first part talking about social and economic issues, including some big pledges for disruptive reform, and then the second part basically consisting of naked nuclear posturing. And so I think the picture or the plan or the scenario Putin has for the next term is continuing to, well, the way he sees it, make Russia strong. And by now, if we look across Russian engagement, foreign policy-wise, Russia has its fingers in every big pie in global conflicts now. So they'll run into at least the US and probably also a number of other Western powers in several regions around the world. And normally that doesn't go smoothly. So I think there's more we can expect, more conflict. And at the same time, he will try to have his government improve living conditions for the Russian people at home. The goal is to stop an extended slide in incomes and to improve health care, to improve education. But the big question mark is where is the money for all this going to come from in the face of a stagnant economy? So, Neil, a rather gloomy uh, outlook for the relationship between Russia and the West in another Putin term. And just to conclude... It's also a rather worrying outlook. Maybe it's just the mood in London this week because of the shock of what's happened. But there is a sense, isn't there, that with what Catherine calls Russia's nuclear posturing, 
that relations between Russia and the West are not just bad, they're unstable and dangerous. I think that's exactly right. You know, there is talk of a new Cold War, but in the latter stages of the old Cold War, there was a kind of framework in which relations operated and a sense that there were certain types of rules and a kind of balance in a way. I think all of that is gone. I think we are in a standoff, a kind of confrontation again, but it's one in which there are no clear rules and that makes it rather dangerous and unpredictable. And if you look at some of the other things that have been happening recently, Russian mercenaries clash directly with US soldiers in Syria, which is a very worrying thing to have happened. And um, were killed, yeah. Indeed, yes. There were significant casualties if the reports are correct. So that's a very dangerous thing to happen. And you have, as Catherine said, Mr. Putin engaging in this very aggressive rhetoric with regard to Russia's nuclear capabilities and don't underestimate us. You've underestimated us before. Don't do that again. So I think we may be in for a rather bumpy ride. Well, with that slightly alarming thought, thank you very much indeed to Neil Buckley here in the studio in London. Thanks also to Catherine Hiller in Moscow. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.